I would invite you to open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, which you can find on page 744 in your Pew Bibles, if you're using a Pew Bible. Isaiah chapter 66, page 744. Well, we're coming down to the home stretch, or at least I am. These last three Sundays in April are my last three sermons to you as your pastor. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, what what does one say in one's three final sermons? And in some ways, I feel like I've already said everything I need to say. I've been preaching here for 18 and a half years. I was trying to guesstimate how many actual sermons that has been and including Sunday morning and other venues. I, I, I was ballparking it somewhere around like 1,800. So, uh, yeah, what, what else is there left to say? So I thought rather than, than teaching some new book or taking you through some new material, that perhaps what would be appropriate would be to instead uh, give you exhortation, direction, charge, um, to give you counsel as you consider where, where you go next as a church. Because the reality is South Shore Baptist Church is very much at a crossroads. Uh, we've been through crossroads before, and here is another one. And they come along in the life of a church. The moments of, of inflection, moments of choice, and, and questioning where do we go from here and part of the crossroads that you face will be who is to be your next senior pastor. That's one issue. But I hope that you see that the crossroads that you stand at is much bigger than that. That, that really the question is, and it always is in these moments, who are we as a church? Where are we going as a church? What are we about as a church? And that is a question that all of us in life have to keep asking ourselves, even as individuals. We reach these moments in life where we have to revisit that question, and it's a question that a church together must revisit. And it's a question that a search committee cannot answer for you. It's a question that a board of elders cannot decide for you. It's a question that, that you all have to decide together in your response to the Lord. It's a question about your heart. What, as you stand at the crossroads and look into an uncertain future as a congregation, the the question is, what is in your heart as a church? What what is it that's going to rule the heart and reign over the, the spirit of this church? Whatever that is will be the thing that governs the kinds of decisions and the kinds of path in the future that you have. So I guess what I want to do is, is in my uh, parting <laughs> shots here from the pulpit, to, to just say, hey, South Shore Baptist Church, go that way. And, and, and just encourage you from God's Word about, about the direction to take. Not even so much about specific decisions you have to make, but about the kind of heart that you will need. So I want to share with you three scriptures that I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you. And here's the first one that we'll look at today. What, what kind of church should you be? Oh, I pray that you will be a church that 
trembles, that trembles at the word of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 66. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord? This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. But whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man. Whoever offers a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering is like one who presents pig's blood, and whoever burns memorial incense like one who worships an idol. They've chosen their own ways, and their souls delight in their abominations. So I will choose harsh treatment for them, and will bring upon them what they dread. For when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and exclude you because of my name have said, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. Yet they will be put to shame. Hear the uproar from the city. Hear the noise from the temple. It is the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies all that they deserve. This prophecy of Isaiah chapter 66 was written in Israel sometime in the 700s BC, and um, it was written at a time when Israel was kind of at a low, anemic point in their spiritual life. They, they, they weren't really following God the, the way that they should be. Um, you wouldn't have known it if you had visited there. If we were to go back in time and to drop into Israel at that time, you, you wouldn't have looked at them and said, wow, this is really a spiritually sickly people. Um, you, you would have seen people going to the temple. They had the temple of God, and they would be offering their sacrifices, and you would have seen people at the temple offering their prayers, and there would have been a choir at the temple singing. You would have looked at Israel at that time and said, wow, that's a really religious people. You know, if, if you went to Israel back then and then went to South Shore Plaza today and said, which is the more religious spiritual people? You'd be like, wow, Israel, super religious. Look at them. They're really into it. But underneath it, there was a spiritual apathy. They, they really weren't following God. They just had a kind of externalized religion where they went through certain motions. Some of us grew up that way. We went to church your parents took you to church, you learned how to do all these motions, and yet you were totally checked out. <laughs> you know, you, you could sit in church and say all the things and, and go through it all, and, and even as you're saying all the religious things inside your mind, you're thinking about, you know, what time is the game today, and wonder what for lunch. And, and, and so we can, we can all do that. We know how to do an externalized religion. Well, that's who the Israelites were. And, and so God is confronting them with, with the fact that their hearts aren't really following him. And so he starts by reminding them of exactly who he is. Look what he says in verse 1. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. When we're at the crossroads, and we're trying to figure out where to go, whether that's as a church, or even if you're just here this morning, and you feel like you're just kind of lost, 
you're at a crossroads in your life, and, and you're just like, what, what is it all about? The place where we have to start, we have to go back to the basics, and we start with this, that God is great, and he's the Lord of all. We, we have to come and recover a great vision of, of the awesomeness and majesty of God. I love that opening set of songs we sang this morning. Boy, I hope you didn't come in late. That was awesome. <laughs> wow. Just reminding us of the greatness of our God. And that's where we start when we're lost at the crossroads, when we're lost in life. We have to come back to the North Star, which is God himself, and say, this is what it's all about, is about this great God and his glory and our love for him. And so he gives us just a little picture of his greatness. He says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. You know, the heavens are God's throne. Um, next time you're, you're outside of the city and you're someplace where there isn't, you know, city shine at night, and you're able to just get out under the stars, maybe up in New Hampshire this summer, if you can do some camping, or if you're down in the Cape, maybe you've got a little cottage, and you're away from things. You know, make sure you get out at night and just look at the stars. We don't see them that well here. But get out there again. Remind yourself of, of just the, the glory of the heavens. Let, let, you know, go to a place where you can really see the Milky Way. And then, if, if, I'm sure we've all done this at different times, where you just stand under the sky and, and then the immensity of space just kind of starts to open up for you, and you're like, wow, 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 you know? And you realize that some of those stars you're seeing aren't stars, but they're galaxies, or even galaxy clusters. And you start to think about the immensity of space and the universe, and, you know, your, your mind starts to overheat. You're like, whoa, and you start feeling really small. You know that moment, and, and you've got to do that every once in a while, right? And when that happens... Add this thought in. That immense canopy of space in the universe is God's throne. That's where he sits. That we say, wow, it's so big. And God's like, yeah, it's a nice chair. I'll sit there. And all those galaxies are just little, little gems decorating his throne. And this earth that is so incredible, this earth that we love, this earth that some people revere as a god, Mother Earth, and God's like, no, that's just my ottoman. That's where I put my feet. So the picture here is of God as a king reigning over the universe. What an awesome God. And so he says in verse 1, so where's the house you will build for me? Where's my resting place going to be? Again, remember these Israelites at that time, they had a temple to God. And they thought, well, we got the temple. We have God, literally, we have him in a box. And, and we have him there, and, and there's God, and it's all under control, and it's neat and tidy. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you can't build something for me. In fact, wh- whatever you build is something I've already built. You're building stuff out of what I've built. Look at verse 2. Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. Whatever you think you would do for me, is you're just doing with stuff I already made and that I reign over, and that's my footstool. God has made everything. He's made the whole universe, he's made you, he's made me. Everything you see in the world, everything you experience, whether it's the stars at night, whether it's looking out over a sunset, whether it's a walk in the woods in the morning, or or if you're looking under a microscope in science class and you're looking at cells, or if you're just holding a baby, everything God has made, the whole world is screaming at us. Can you hear it? 
It's, it's yelling at us. The whole universe is roaring, saying, a great God made us. God is great and awesome. And so he reminds us of who he is. And as we stand at the crossroads, this is where our focus needs to be on the greatness and awesomeness and majesty and glory and worth and praise of God. We need to be reoriented to his majesty and to not panic and freak out. It's his church. He made it. This is his place. Your life is his life. Your kids that you're so worried about are his kids. Your, your career is his career. He's given it to you. Your wealth and your prosperity is his, and he's given it to you. And so we, we stand in awe of God. We, we don't stand panicked looking at the directional signs. Which way do we go? We look up above them and we say, God is in his heavens, on his throne. And now here's the twist, the end of verse 2. This is the big surprise. So you, you get that set up, Right? of this awesome God that just makes you want to lay on your face on the ground, spread eagle, and just praise him. And then you get this twist. God says, this is the one I esteem. Or you could translate it, this is the one I regard. This is the one I'm I'm looking at and paying attention to. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So there's two surprises there. Surprise number one is that God even notices anybody. I think that's surprising. You know, you get this picture of God. Do you ever feel that way when you look out under the stars and you just think, wow, I'm so small? Even Carl Sagan, you know, would, would be like, yeah, we're nothing. We're just specks. Even, even atheistic astronomers can look out at the skies and come to the conclusion, we're very small, we're very insignificant. We think we're such a big deal. We're not. And, and we can feel that too. But the Bible tells us that in spite of the fact that we are so small and insignificant in terms of the cosmic scale, that God is actually paying attention to people. He's, he's looking at us. He's esteeming us. God is looking at the whole heavens he's made, and he's looking and seeing people, and he's paying attention to people. That's remarkable. But also, who's he paying attention to? The lowly people. It's almost like the smaller you get before God, the more he pays attention. It's like Horton and the Who's, you know? the needy little who's, and Horton hears them, and he's tuned into them. And, and here's God listening and paying attention. Let's, let's slow down a little bit and look at the three characteristics here of the person whom God pays attention to, because this is important. If there is a God who made all things and who reigns over the whole universe, and if the God actually pays attention to people, what are the kinds of people he pays attention to and esteems and values and gets involved in and cares about? Well, number one, those who are humble. To be humble is to be, you could translate that poor or needy. It's, it's, to be humble is to say, I, I don't got it. <laughs> I, I need help. I, I, need, I need your assistance, God. I, I don't have the answers. I don't have the solutions. I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not, God, I need you. That's what it means to be humble. It's the opposite of being self-sufficient and prideful and successful. And God, God is tuned in to humble, needy people. Isn't that amazing? I think that's a challenge for us as suburbanites. So many of us as American suburbanites really value success. I'm, I'm one of you. 
I'm a type A-driven, accomplishment-oriented person. I've always been that way. You know, we value success. We, we value success in work, and we value financial success, and we value success in education and, and endeavors and, you know, accomplishing things. And, and that's sort of what makes us proud as, as suburban Americans. And, and then we, we inflict our kids with the same psychosis, you know. We're like, come on, what's your grades, you know? And oh, how, how did you get that A-? minus? You know, I, I'm just, Daddy and I are really upset, you know. And it's like the poor kids are like, okay. And so the kids are succeeding, and they're in like three club teams because you know they're going to be pro athletes, and we're just pushing them to succeed. And so the, the whole training, the whole cultural training we give ourselves as Americans and as suburbanites is, is to succeed and to excel. And I'm not saying we should be striving to be, you know, failures or, or that, it's, you know, that, that we should not be working hard or striving for excellence. My point is just that then God comes along and he says, I love the humble. I love those who don't have it all together. I love those who haven't succeeded and who, who need, who realize they need me. And maybe that means you are successful in life, but you're humble enough to say, everything I've succeeded at is a gift. God has done this. It's to him be the glory for everything that's good that's happened to me. It's not me. That's humble. And so whether you've succeeded in life or struggled in life, God is looking at the humble person who comes to him. And then not only humble, but look at the next one. Contrite in spirit. That's who we need to be, those who are contrite. So, so contrite is not just humble, saying like, yeah, I, I don't have all the things together. I don't have all the answers. But contrite is the next step, and it's saying I've actually done wrong. I'm actually a sinful person in need of a Savior. This is the, the humility of confessing our sins and, and repenting and saying, God, I've blown it. I've not loved you. I've not responded the right way to you. I've not responded the right way to others. It's sorrow over sin, not just humility in the face of power. It reminds me of another passage in Isaiah. In fact, just put a little bookmark here. Turn back to Isaiah 57. There's a parallel passage. Isaiah 57, verse 15. This is really the same idea as chapter 66, 1 and 2. It's just kind of a different slant. It emphasizes the sin dimension and the holiness dimension. Verse 15 of Isaiah 57. For this is what the high and lofty one says. Again, God, way up there. He who lives forever and whose name is holy. So he's also holy. He's perfect and morally pure. He says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is so high and holy you could never get there, but don't worry. If you'll just be humble and contrite, he'll live right next to you too. As Seth said, he comes into our camp and he dwells among us. It's amazing. It's so strange, isn't it? It's just surprising. You know, if, if, if I were to sit down with you or you were to sit down with me, over coffee, and we were to say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you all my worst stuff, everything, everything I can think of that I'm ashamed of, that I know was wrong, ways I've hurt people, ways that I have failed God, and I'm just going to, we're going to sit down here for about an hour, I got a list, you know, 
<laughs> I'm just going to go through it. I'm going to tell you everything about the garbage and my heart and my past and all my skeletons. Ready? Go. And I, and I just read it all to you. You would probably at the end of that be like, <laughs> okay, I, wow, uh, nice knowing you. Um, it would just be awkward and you would probably draw away from me and you would let your kids come over to play with my kids and you'd just be like, oh, wow. What? I can't believe we hired him. I mean, you, it would just be shocking if, if we knew each other's sin. And it is, isn't it amazing that if we come to God with our sins and let the papers roll down and, and we can, are contrite and we say, God, I've broken your laws, I'm a sinful man, that God actually is attracted to that. That God loves repentant people. That God loves contrite people. People who are like, oh, I'm all good. God's like, no, you're not, but whatever. <laughs> but if we're like, I'm not all good. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God is like, I'm right there. God loves the humble who repent. Isn't that how Jesus was? I mean, who did Jesus hang out with when he was here? When God was with us in the flesh, he was, he was always struggling against the people who thought that they didn't need forgiveness, the Pharisees. And he was always drawn to the, the sinners, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the, the bad people who, who knew that they needed a sinner, a, a savior. And, and so they were receiving his message of forgiveness. Not that they were okay, but that they were in need of a physician and they knew it. And so God loves the contrite. He's, this great God is paying attention to those who are humble, those who are contrite. And then the third one, those who tremble at his word. Verse 2. I love that phrase. I mean, I just, as I was thinking about text, that phrase just kept coming to my mind to be a person, to be a church that trembles at the word of God. Not a church that trembles at the future. Not a church that trembles at change. Not a church that trembles at the loss of staff members. Not a church that trembles over the budget but a church that trembles at the word of God. That is who we should be. That phrase, trembling at God's word, I feel like it kind of gathers up everything from verses 1 to 2 and sort of brings it all together. You know, God is awesome and holy and great, and so we should be in awe of him and tremble. And, and then he speaks. God, our God speaks. That's the cool thing about the God of the Bible. He's a living God. He speaks today. Are you listening? God speaks to us through his word in powerful ways through his Holy Spirit. And, and so this speaking God is speaking. And so we, we need to be humble and contrite and tremble when he speaks. And so to be a church that trembles at his word, as you stand at the crossroads of South Shore Baptist Church, as you try to figure out which way do we go next and what are we going to do, oh, I just pray that you would be in your hearts a church that trembles at the word of God, that doesn't just believe that the Bible is God's word, I hope you do, but more, trembles at that word. You know, it's, it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, we believe in the Bible, and you know, I even I love my church because they preach from the Bible, and when my pastor says turn to Isaiah, I don't even need the page number because I know the Bible but do you tremble at God's word? Are we humbled before God so that even his words cause us to be humbled?
What does it look like to be a people that tremble at God's word? How would that flesh itself out? I mean, I mean, first and foremost, I think it means that we have to be a people who read the word. We need to be people who study God's word. And, and this is something I think that begins at a very individual level, that every single member of our church, including myself, we need to commit ourselves anew during this interim period to being people of the word. You know, you're like, what, what, do I, what am I going to do during the interim? I mean, you've got committees doing things, and the elders are doing things, and I'm just kind of sitting in my pew just saying, like, well, I guess I just sit here and see what happens, and things are going to happen in the church, and I've got no, no say, or I'm just kind of sitting in the pew waiting for all things to take place, and I'll see what unfolds. No, 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 no. You need to be in the Word. You need to be a person who is reading the Bible Every day of church, I just pray that this is where you would start, that you would recommit yourself to daily reading the Bible. I know that sounds simple, but this is where it starts. Are you reading it every day? I mean, even just a little bit, and and not reading it to be like, you know, again, I am a successful suburbanite who am reading my Bible every day, but like reading it like this, okay, God, I'm listening God, I need to hear what you want to say to my heart. God, I I tremble at your word. What do you need to say to me? We need to be listening to God's word. And then when we gather together as Christians in, in our maybe growth groups or when you hang out with other Christians, man, be encouraging each other with God's word. I just pray that God's word would stay central to, to our church's life. You know, during uh, an interim period, it's so easy for our growth groups to become grumble groups. You know, to have coffee conversations, become complaint conversations. It's just the nature of the beast. You're in an interim. Everything's unsettled. You know, what, what, do, you, what do we do when we're unsettled? Well, we, we gripe and we complain and we nitpick things. What about this? And, you know, it's just part of our insecurity and our anxiety and, and our own little issues that we have. And, and it's so easy in, in an interim period for for a church to kind of devolve into little grumbling, complaining groups that, you know, sort of support groups where we kind of lean on each other and vent all our issues. Man, you guys need to be even more so being like people. We need to hear from God. We don't need to hear each other's worries. We need to hear what God has to say to our hearts. And so keep your growth groups and your discipleship gatherings and all that you do to come together as a body yeah, you've you got to talk about issues, but keep coming back to this word and tremble before God's word and listen to his word and let it shape your heart. Let God's word rule in your hearts, not other things. I don't know who the next senior pastor of this church will be, but may I exhort you to find a man who trembles at the word of God. Not just a man who believes in the Word of God. I'm sure everyone who applies will believe. Not even just a man who preaches the Word of God faithfully and expositionally. But see if you can discern a heart that trembles at the Word of God, who who hears God's Word and is affected by it and, and is moved by God's Word. This is the person that God will esteem. God will esteem your pastor. God will will love and care for your pastor if he humbles himself and trembles at God's word and is contrite. And as you make decisions as a church, whether whether you make some corporate decisions, you know, we 
in, in a, a church like ours, for those of you who are new, you know, we, we make decisions at lots of different levels in the church. There's some decisions we all make together as a whole body. Some decisions are made by a, our leadership team, our shepherds, our board of elders. They make some decisions. Other decisions have been delegated to the church staff, and they, they make those decisions. Some other decisions are delegated to, to committees and, and different ministries in the church. So, so decision-making and, and those choices between the crossroads, they happen at lots of different levels in the life of our church. That that's how we do our work together. And, and so whenever you find yourself in one of those decision-making moments, I would just plead with you to turn to the Word of God as you make those decisions. Don't go to your default settings that we all have. Sometimes we get in those decision-making moments and we just say, well, what's the most practical thing? What, what would just get it done the quickest? Well, you know, killing Saul would have got it done the quickest, but it wasn't the right move. Or, or you say, well, what, what's the cheapest thing? <laughs> What's the way to save the most money? And finances are important. I'm I'm not negating those. I'm just saying that may not be. The thing that God wants you to do may not be the cheapest thing. Or or maybe we draw upon, you know, we all act based on what we know. If your background is business, you just kind of pull upon your business background. If your background is education, or if you've been raised, trained in the military, you draw upon your military training. And there's always good things to bring from our backgrounds, but, but beware of the danger of just saying, well, what do we do in this situation? Well, based on my background, we should do this. We should all say, no, 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 let's, let's see what God's word says. Or what should we do? Well, here's another one. Let's just do what we've always done as a church. Well, it may be good, or maybe it needs to change. Some things need to change in our church. They really do. You know, the seven last words of the church, we've never done it that way before. I'm worried that with this new pastor, things are going to change at our church. Oh, don't worry. They are going to change. It's going to be different. And, and if you find someone who's following God's word, that's good. God has new plans for your church. There's a reason I'm being moved out of the way. Because there's another church that needs something that I can bring, and there's things that you need as a church that someone else is going to bring. So things will change. It's okay if you have someone who's making decisions based upon the Word of God. You can trust it, and you can go with it. And so be a church that trembles at the Word. That's the kind of heart we need. That's the kind of of wiring so that as all kinds of crazy decisions and crossroads come into your future, you'll you'll have the same kind of operating system inside, which is like, wow, we don't know what to do with this situation, but we know that God is great, this is his church, and we are going to be humble. God, we don't know what to do. We're going to be contrite. God, I think we may have made some mistakes. And Lord, show us from your word how do we honor you in this situation and let the Lord lead you. Really quickly, what does it look like when we don't tremble at his word? What does that look like? It's a mess. Look at verses 3 and 4. This is some strong medicine here. Verse 3, whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man. Whoever offers a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. Whoever makes a grain offering like one who presents pig's blood. Whoever burns memorial incense like one who worships an idol. What is that all about? Well, if you look at each of those pairs, the first phrase in the pair are things that the Israelites were supposed to do as part of their worship in the temple. 
they were supposed to sacrifice bulls, burn incense, make a grain offering, and sacrifice sheep. That was all part of what God commanded them to do. But so what God is saying is, he's saying, every time you guys sacrifice a bull, it's going to not count as sacrificing a bull. It's going to count as you, you murdered somebody. What? <laughs> every time you offer grain, it's not going to count as a grain offering. I'm going to count it as if you offered pig's blood. What? That's intense, isn't it? That would be like every time you put money in the offering plate, I'm, God's going to look at it as if you just stole money. And every time you, you sing a worship song and say, praise the Lord in the worship song, God's going to count it as if you took the Lord's name in vain. Like, that's intense. Like, why is God being so mad and grumpy about their worship? It's really negative. Like, boy, God just seems like he's in a bad mood and really mean here. No, 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 no. Here's the problem. Look at verse 3. It's because these people who are going through the outward, external acts of worship are not trembling at his word. They have chosen their own ways. Their souls delight in their abominations. Verse 4, I've chosen harsh treatment for them. I'll bring upon them what they dread. For, here we go, I called, God's word is going out, and no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. You know, you get those friends who you text them and they never text back. Get that friend who you try to call them, you try to text them, and they just, it's like, don't, I know you have a phone. I know you use it. Why don't you ever text me back? That's what God's like. He's like, I've been speaking to you. I've been sending prophets, and you guys won't listen to me. On the outside, you look really religious. You do all the religious things, but in the heart, what rules their heart is not a worship of God and a love of God and a love of God's word, but what reigns in their hearts is selfishness and pride and fear and control and lust and greed and a criticalness and a judgmentalness and all the, the garbage that's in our hearts. And God says, I see right through it all and I don't accept your phony baloney worship. I see it for what it is. We all can fool each other. We're all able to fool each other. We're really good at it. We can all put ourselves forward as religious. We know the words to say. Uh, Those of you who've been in church a long time know exactly how to behave, just as I do, in order to look like a good Christian. We're all experts at that. And we can have so much garbage in our hearts So many things inside of us that are just so displeasing to God and God sees right through it. And so as you stand at the crossroads, South Shore Baptist Church, realize that God sees your heart. This interim period is a period for spring cleaning in our church. This is a time for every one of us to open up our hearts before God and say, oh God, Search me, show me where the sin and the yuck is and get rid of it, God. Let us go with Israel to the banks of the Jordan and go find John the Baptist and join him in a baptism of repentance from sin to prepare ourselves for what the Lord would do in our midst. May you be repenting as a church. May may this be a time where each of us individually and maybe even together deals with with the garbage in our lives that needs to be done away with finally and forever. Whatever it takes, may we be a holy people 
Because those are the ones God esteems, not those who know how to go through the religious motions or, or know their Bibles really well, but it's those who obey their Bibles really well, which is by God's grace. Teenagers who are here, kids who are here, you know, any, any kids here been in the Sunday school, the VBS, the youth group? Yeah, you, you guys know how, all the answers, right? You know, you know what you're supposed to say. You know how to act like good Christian kids. But I just want to challenge you. Like, do you really believe it? Are you really a follower of Jesus? Or do you just know how to, to do the Christian thing? Pastor Seth told us a funny story uh, a couple weeks ago when our staff was studying this passage and getting ready. We, we do that. We get together as a team and we look at a passage together and talk about it together. And Pastor Seth told us a funny story of his son when his son was five years old. And his son said, I don't want to go to church anymore. And they said, well, why don't you want to go to church anymore? He said, well, I know all the Bible stories now, so I don't need to go. <laughs> and maybe you feel that way as a teenager. You're like, I know the stories. I've heard it all. I've, I know all the songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But are you trembling at God's word? Do you know Jesus? Do you really know him? Not just do your parents know Jesus, but do you know him and follow him? Or maybe you're here this morning, and you know I've been talking to, the, to this church a lot, and maybe you're here for the first time, you're kind of an outsider, you're new to the church, or maybe, maybe you're not even yet a Christian, and so you're, this is all kind of a little bit outside to you, and, um, but I just want to say this applies to you too, that God wants to draw near to you, but you have to realize that, that God draws near to those who realize they're, they're sinners in need of a Savior. Don't just rely upon your past religious religious behavior or spiritual behavior. Don't just think, well, you know, I, I was raised as a, a kid in the church or I got confirmed or, um, you know, I, I went to a Sunday school as a kid or I show up on Easter. I, I believe there's a God, you know, I'm not an atheist or whatever. Don't think that that's enough. You need to be humble. You need to be contrite. You need to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again to save sinners. He came into our camp and died and rose again. And unless you, you're trusting in Christ, your, your, religious, your thin veneer of religiosity is not going to cut it. You need the Lord. And I think this is big, people, because it's not just South Shore Baptist Church at a crossroads, but I think, I think it's us as Christians in our culture at a crossroads. It, it's an interesting time for me to be leaving the church and going overseas to another culture, where I'm going to have different realities. But you're going to be here, and I, I think in many ways, I think we feel this. I mean, I don't know for sure. I'm not making a prophecy here, but, but it feels like our, our culture in America is at a real crossroads. And I don't know where it's going. And I've got a bad feeling based upon everything I see. Maybe there's some optimists about our culture out there, and you can cheer me up after the service. Please come cheer me up after the service. <laughs> but I just look at where our culture's going and, and the trends, and I think, man, it's going to be costly. It's going to be costly to follow Jesus in America, perhaps. I pray I'm wrong, but five years from now, ten years from now. And, and, and to be a person who trembles at God's word is going to cost us something more and more. But even then, be encouraged. Verse 5, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. 
Your brothers who hate you, who exclude you because of my name, they've said, and this is a mocking tone here, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. And we're mocked as well. It's going to increase. When you say you're a Christian, instead of being like, oh, that's one option, that's a great religion, it's going to be more like, oh, you're a Christian. We know who you are. You're a Bible thumper, a fundamentalist, a holy roller, a bigot, a hater. You're narrow-minded. And, and you're just going to have that put upon you. And so there's going to be cultural pressure to, to not tremble at God's word. And so I think this is a crossroads, not just for our church in terms of the future of us as an organization per se, but it's a time for all of us to decide where we stand with the Lord. And, and are we willing to follow him, even as our culture appears to be going in a radically different direction? Are you ashamed to stand with Christ? And so choose this day whom you will serve. Decide the kind of church that you will be, what your heart will be. And fear not, because God is with you. This is the one that God esteems. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you and we realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior and we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who is not ashamed to come walk among us, to get involved in all of our brokenness and sin and to take it upon himself on the cross and then to rise again in power and glory. And Lord, we we want to stand with you. I pray that you would give a heart to this church to be willing to tremble at your word, to hold your word as awesome, even as perhaps the culture rejects your word. Oh, Lord, help us to be people who stand with Christ, regardless of the cost. Oh, Lord, I pray that this church would not tremble at the future, that they would not tremble at the unknown, that you would protect this church from the evil one who would love to come in here and sow doubt and division and grumpiness and fear. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church that that would just be filled with faith in your word and obedience. Lord, I pray that you would use this interim period as a house cleaning time, that our souls would be be uh, decluttered of of sin and, and just things that are keeping us from you, Lord, even good things that are just gumming up the works of our soul. Oh, Lord, may we be a renewed people. May there be repentance and revival. And Lord, I pray that when the the new senior pastor comes to this church, he would find a ready people, a people ready to go where you would lead them in the next phase. And so, God, I pray, make them ready. And may this church be filled with trembling, a trembling of love, a trembling of obedience, a trembling of worship. At your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.